0: Well, again, good morning, and Merry Christmas. My name is George Davis. Thank you for joining us as we prepare to celebrate Christmas in a couple of days. Some of you are here perhaps with friends or family, and we want to welcome you. Thank you for being a part of our services this Christmas weekend. And uh, if you're new, uh, we just want you to feel at home and even to grab a gift on your way out at the Hub. I encourage you to do that. During the Christmas season, we've been taking some time to look at this statement of anticipation in the Old Testament that, that ultimately anticipates the coming of Christ. It's, it was a statement penned centuries ago by this prophet known as Isaiah that there would one, that one day be someone coming, a baby would be born, a child would come who would be a wonderful counselor, mighty God, an everlasting father. A Prince of Peace. And over the last few weeks we've been looking at those different titles that anticipate the work of Jesus Christ, that anticipate the message of Christmas, this message that that we to experience, but also a message that we're to share with others. And so today we come to the last, we come to the last title of those four: Prince of Peace. Now, in some ways, this may seem like the most straightforward of the four titles, right? Everybody understands peace. Isaiah is saying one day there's going to be someone who comes to bring peace. And, of course, Isaiah is writing at a time where there's political intrigue and turmoil. So this is a message that people want to hear. Someone is going to come and and bring peace. What's, What's hard to understand about that? But believe it or not, there may be more going on in this title than you realize. And it may be the case for you that to understand the message of Christmas, you have to rethink your understanding of peace. Now, let me, let me explain that this way. Here's how, right, here's how we generally think about peace. Peace is the absence of conflict, right? Right? In, in relationships, in politics, peace is the absence of this. So when we think about peace, that, that's kind of the first thing that that comes to your mind. That's when we, you think about peace. So let me give you let me just give you a personal, a concrete example. Right when we think about peace globally, we think about countries that are no longer doing this. So this summer, my family we were in Israel and. Uh, During one of the days on that trip, we did a day trip to the nation of Jordan, and we crossed at a southern border that's now open just north of the city of Eilat, north of the Red Sea, if you know the geography of that region. And on that day, an Israeli guide and driver picked us up, and they they drove us to, to this border crossing on the Israeli side, and she was so helpful. She she walked us through all the paperwork and the Israeli immigration and customs. We had to get these little exit visas and and we we came to the end of that process. We got all the paperwork done and we, we walked to the kind of the outer door of that building and she took us to the door and she looked at me and said, I said, Okay, this is as far as I go. <laughs> really? You can't come with it. And yeah, right, right? She said, this is as far as I go. But she pointed and she, she pointed down the road and she said, you see that building over there? That's the Jordanian side. And, and when you get to the Jordanian side, your Jordanian guide and your Jordanian driver will meet you. And they'll walk you through all the paperwork on that side. And you come back later this afternoon. And when you come back, I will be right here. So we, you know, we grabbed all our stuff, got our gear and... So we had to across this road, right, that you see here. And, and it was interesting. This was early in the morning. There really weren't that many people crossing the border. So we were really by ourselves on this road. And to be honest with you, that was, a, that was an eerie experience. Because this area here right in the middle, this used to be no man's land. This used to be a minefield. And you're kind of walking across going, I hope they got them all, right? <laughs> I'd be, by my luck, I'd find the one they missed. And so... So we cross this maybe 100, 150 yards and get to the other side and the Jordanian side, and she was right. Our, our guide met us and, and we walked us through all the paperwork and it went exactly according to plan. Now when we look at the situation, we say, okay, this is an example of what? It's peace. Here were two countries that were once doing this, but they're no longer doing that anymore. In fact, there's a historical significance to this, this stretch of road that we walked across. Because 24 years ago, right here, an agreement was signed between Jordan and Israel. You see a picture of that signing right here with the king of Jordan and the prime minister of Israel, even the president of the United States. An agreement was signed between those two countries. And what do we call that kind of agreement? We call it a what? A peace treaty, right? October 1994. And so this this when you and I think about peace, even when we hear Jesus coming as the Prince of Peace, we think about the absence of this. And I think we think about that not only globally or internationally, but we think about it personally, right? We think about it in our relationships. Some of you, you know you're glad to have maybe Christmas break at school because there's some there's some there's some challenging relationships or there's some, there's some awkwardness on the bus going home and there's this click that you, you feel like you're left out of and, and it's this and you just, you're just glad to be away from that for a while. Some of us, what we want in our families or in other relationships that are important, we just want this to stop, right? Whatever this is. Some of you are parents and you you just love to get to the end of the day and it's like quiet, the conflict, the messes are cleaned up and it just feels like, oh, this is gone. And it's peace. So that's, that's what we think about, right? When we think about peace, it's the absence of this. Now all this makes sense, but what if the message of Christmas takes peace to an absolutely new level? What if the message of Christmas, this idea of Jesus coming as Prince of Peace actually takes the idea of peace to to a level that is revolutionary, that is radical, that is transformational? Even more so than you thought. What if that's at work when we talk about Jesus as the Prince of Peace? And we have to wrestle with this because this is how peace is presented in the Bible to show you what I mean, watch this.
1: The word peace is common in most languages. People can talk about peace treaties or times of peace. It means the absence of war. And in the Bible, the word peace can refer to the absence of conflict, but it also points to the presence of something better in its place. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. And in the New Testament, the Greek word is erene. The most basic meaning of shalom is complete Or whole. The word can refer to a stone that has a perfect whole shape with no cracks. It can also refer to a completed stone wall that has no gaps and no missing bricks. Shalom refers to something that's complex with lots of pieces that's in a state of completeness, wholeness. It's like Job who says his tents are in a state of shalom because he counted his flock and no animals are missing. This is why shalom can refer to a person's well-being. Like when David visited his brothers on the battlefield, he asked about their shalom. The core idea is that life is complex, full of moving parts and relationships and situations. And when any of these is out of alignment or missing, your shalom breaks down. Life is no longer whole. It needs to be restored. In fact, that's the basic meaning of shalom when you use it as a verb. To bring shalom literally means to make complete or restore. So Solomon brings shalom to the unfinished temple when he completes it. Or if your animal accidentally damages your neighbor's field, you shalom them by giving them a complete repayment for their loss. You take what's missing and you restore it to wholeness. The same goes for human relationships. In the book of Proverbs, to reconcile and heal a broken relationship is to bring shalom. And when rival kingdoms make shalom in the Bible, it doesn't just mean they stop fighting. It also means they start working together for each other's benefit. This state of shalom is what Israel's kings were supposed to cultivate, and it rarely happened. So the prophet Isaiah, he looked forward to a future king, a prince of shalom. And his reign would bring shalom with no end. A time when God would make a covenant of shalom with his people and make right all wrongs and heal all that's been broken. This is why Jesus' birth in the New Testament was announced as the arrival of Irene. Remember, that's the Greek word for peace. Jesus came to offer his peace to others, like when he said to his followers, My peace I give to you all. The apostles claimed that Jesus made peace between messed up humans and God when he died and rose from the dead. The idea is that he restored to wholeness the broken relationship between humans and their creator. This is why the Apostle Paul can say, Jesus himself is our Irene. He was the whole complete human that I am made to be but have failed to be. And now he gives me his life as a gift. And this means that Jesus' followers are now called to create peace. Paul instructed local churches to keep their unity through the bond of peace, which requires humility and patience and bearing with others in love. Becoming people of peace means participating in the life of Jesus who reconciled all things in heaven and earth, restoring peace through his death and resurrection. So peace takes a lot of work because it's not just the absence of conflict. True peace requires taking what's broken and restoring it to wholeness, whether it's in our lives, our relationships, or in our world. And that's the rich biblical concept of peace.
0: So, so let that sink in. As I said, so often we think about peace. Peace is just the absence of this. But the, the Bible, and particularly the message of Christmas that announces the Prince of Peace, it, it's anticipating someone who comes not simply to remove this, but to bring about this. Wholeness, renewal, restoration. Someone who comes to fill in the gaps that are missing. That's what Isaiah is anticipating. I think we even see some of that in, in other parts of Isaiah. For instance, Isaiah 53, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds, notice that we are healed, right? I notice the way that the theme of peace is linked with the idea of healing and restoration, These words of Isaiah are in some ways then echoed in that angelic announcement from Luke chapter two, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. See what the Bible is getting at? The Bible is getting at this idea that you you need to understand who Jesus is and what he's bringing about. And it's not just the absence of conflict. It's the one who comes to, bring restoration and renewal, to fix that which was broken, to restore us at the very core of, of who we are. And, an early Christian writer, Paul the Apostle, um, echoes this same theme in Romans 5.1, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Interestingly, I think Paul's words here even echo parts of Isaiah chapter 32, because Isaiah 32 envisions God's reign and his righteousness coming, and and part of the fruit of that will be peace. And here Paul is looking at the work of of Christ, and he says, Look, through faith, through our trust, we, we have been justified. That is, we have set, we have been set right. Our relationship with God has been restored. We now have nothing to prove. And as a result, we experience peace. That relationship has been restored. We have peace with God. And he goes on to say that that in light of this, we, we are to live in God's grace. And this is really being empowered by God's grace. Now, as you look at this statement, understand that the way Paul words this phrase, he is implying that there has been conflict, hostility, in our relationship with God, whether we realize it or not, because of our, our sin and, and brokenness, we have in reality been at war with God. But now through Christ, this has been removed. But notice, it's not simply that we've been forgiven, it's, it's we now have a peace, a peace that's empowered by God's grace. And if you're familiar with Paul's writings, you know this isn't the only place, Romans 5, where he uses that term peace and and grace together. It's it's actually how he consistently opens his letters, right? It's his opening greeting to these early Christian followers that he addresses. He says, grace and, and peace to you. And, of course, in his letters in different ways, he wants, he wants Christians to understand who Christ is and to see their identity in him and what that means and to, and to move past their brokenness and to allow that new identity to affect things like their family and how they engage the workplace and other relationships. But with each letter, as he goes into these details, he says, But all of this is actually evidence that God wants you to live in peace, that God wants to restore you. And that's my prayer for you, for you to experience his restoration, his renewal, empowered by his grace. So Paul always starts by saying grace and peace to you. I want you to experience this wholeness. Not simply the absence of this, but the presence of this. So as we prepare to celebrate Christmas, what does it look like for you to celebrate Jesus as the Prince of Peace? What does it look like for you to welcome him as the one who brings wholeness, Renewal and restoration, I want you to just think about that for a moment in fact if you if you 'll open your bulletin, and there are just two questions that we 're going to i 'm going to encourage you to think about this morning and there 's space for you to answer them however you want, or even if you want to draw and there, there are pencils and hopefully somewhere around you colored pencils, even for some of you who might want to draw your answer. But the first thing I just want you to think about for a moment is this so where, where, do, you, where do you need shalom right where do you where do you need this peace, this restoration? Maybe for some of your kids or students, there, you know, there's certain relationships you think about, even things at school and, you know, I, I just, man, I'd love to have peace here. I'd love for it to be different. I mean, what, what are your fears and what are those fears telling you about maybe a situation in your life that's not as it should be? And maybe that's an area where you would say, I, would, I need God's peace. So I just I want you to reflect on that and, and write out an answer. If you're comfortable doing that, even draw an answer. For others of us, maybe there, there are areas in our life, things in our past that we feel like still have this grip on us. And oh, if I could just have... God's peace here. Certain attitudes, certain uncertainties and fears, anxieties, and man, if I could just move past that and experience renewal and restoration. Maybe it's like you 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 know, you you envision your life kind of as this wall and they're just missing pieces that need shalom. And you, you know, so what is it like for you to understand God is the one sending Christ to kind of totally rebuild that? give you a totally different foundation to fill in those gaps. So I'm just going to give you a few seconds. Just to reflect on that. Where where do you need God's peace? So, God, as we think about Jesus coming as the Prince of Peace, sometimes it's easy just to lock into our understanding of peace as the absence of conflict, but there's so much more involved in that. He comes as one to bring renewal and wholeness and completeness. And, Father, for some of us, as we, we look in our lives, we see certain inadequacies, we see gaps, we see hard relationships. We see frustrations with family, with parents, with kids. We see problems at school and the workplace. And now, now as we celebrate Christmas, may we, we see Jesus coming truly as the one who brings peace at the deepest level of who we are. May we see this as your vision for our lives. And Father, even as we now sing this song, I pray that there are certain areas we, maybe we just need to acknowledge before you. I pray we do that even as we sing. To acknowledge these, these, these gaps we feel, these hurts we have, or these tough relationships, and just kind of yield that to you to, to open that up for your work in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So Isaiah wants us to see this one, he's coming, he's a prince of peace, not just to eliminate this. And of course, that's what a lot of the people around Isaiah just wanted to hear. Just somebody to take the pain away, the the conflict away. But no, 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 this, this prince of peace is coming to do more than to remove this. He's coming to bring about restoration and renewal and wholeness. Now, as we think in these terms... You understand this, really, this is really what God wants to do in your life. I mean, maybe right now it feels like your life is a jigsaw puzzle and some of the pieces are missing. If that's the case, I just want to encourage you to embrace the message of Christmas, that there really is one who comes to, to bring renewal to you in your life, first with, with your relationship with God, and then it expands out from There. I mean, maybe, for instance, I grew up in an environment where I wasn't always encouraged or supported, and as a result, I've, I've always been trying to prove myself, always striving to achieve and do my best in whatever endeavor, from school to work or whatever, but, but there's always there's this nagging sense that somehow I'm falling short, or there, there's always this nagging sense of failure in certain situations, it's like uh, there's, I'm always on edge a little bit, and And I need to hear, he he comes as the Prince of Peace. He comes as one to restore, to fill in the gaps, really to rebuild the foundation entirely. And in doing so, to deal with my insecurity. He comes wanting to bring wholeness to my life. Do you see that? I mean, that's, that's how Isaiah is describing him as the, Prince of peace and, and interestingly as we as we begin to recognize this and understand it, the, the Bible also tells us that that when you become part of what christ is doing you 're now supposed to live out this peace in tangible and intentional ways, so for instance, this passage in, in Romans chapter fourteen, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification and here. The, the apostle Paul's talking particularly about relationships in the church and the assumption is, look, you, you're, you're, now, you're now recipients of this peace empowered by God's grace, and so you're, you're, you're to live that out in your community. But it's not just restricted to certain relationships because earlier in Romans 12 he says this, if it is possible as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. That's a tall order, isn't it, when we think about how peace is described in the Bible. I mean, if you're now following this prince of peace, it's not just, well, work at avoiding this. It's work at being a part of this. Work at building into relationships. Work at being for other people. Work at, you know, working through conflict and disagreement in healthy ways. Now, there's no guarantee that it always works out because, remember, he says, as far as it depends on you. But nonetheless, he says, this this is what your life is now to look like. You're following this prince of peace. And so now this is to work its way out. This part is to work its way out in how you engage other people at school, in your workplace, in your family. So, okay, how do we do that? Well, let me just say a couple of things very briefly. Remember, Paul said that I think this peace is empowered by God's grace. It's empowered by God's grace. And and really to be be an agent of that grace, we have to be recipients of that grace. If I'm to take seriously what it looks like to really pursue this wholeness in my relationships, I think foundational to that is is really engaging God, pursuing him so that I'm, I'm, I'm really making space for him to be at at work in my life, and I'd say a tangible step that you can take in that regard is, is really to engage this next series that we've got coming up as we go through Mark's gospel. We're going to start at the beginning of a year. A new series entitled, Follow. And as we work our way up to Easter, we're going to work our way through the gospel of Mark. And in different ways, Mark is wanting us to see who Jesus is and what it means to follow. And one of the interesting things we're going to see in Mark's gospel is this. Mark wants us to see that the, the journey of faith is one that works you through your fears. In other words, the steps of faith are going to be Steps of faith that challenge your fears. And in different ways, Mark Mark wants you to see who Jesus is in such a way that you don't get stuck there. Mark wants you to see Jesus in such a way that you, you don't get stuck in your fears, your anxieties. You don't get stuck in those approaches to life that rob you of your peace. And I I just want you, I just want, as best I can, to encourage you to be a part of that. See, my my prayer for you is that we could get to Easter, and by the time we get to Easter, that you've engaged Mark's gospel in such a way that you're going to say, you know what? There are things about Jesus that I've never seen before. And there are things about what it means to follow and how he seeks to work in my life that I've just never been attuned to before, but this gospel is starting to open that up for me. Because see, really being an agent to, of this peace begins by living in the reality of that and understanding what it means to be in relationship with Christ. So that's why we've put together a variety of resources for you for this series. So starting January 1, you can begin using this devotional guide. We've got copies available in the foyer, uh, the lobby area. You can pick them up as you go out. Our core ministry has a student version of this that they're making available. And some of you maybe even if you're just visiting, but you'd like to go through this remotely online, just feel free to take a copy of this and join us as we start on January 1. In addition to, um, in addition to uh, the devotional guide, we're preparing other resources. For instance, when I was in Israel this summer, uh, I shot a series of 90-second videos that go with the series on location and the different parts of Geographical locations that we'll see in, in Mark and we'll use those videos throughout the series just to give you additional cultural and historical material about the stories you're reading and all the resources you're going to be able to find at hfcinfo.com. In fact, if you go there now, you will notice a follow tab. That's the name of the series and all of the in- resources are going to be made available there week by week just to help you engage this amazing message of who Jesus is and what it means to follow. And see, if if, if I'm going to take seriously this idea of Jesus as Prince of Peace, I I need to be engaging him and developing that relationship. But building on from that, I think I've also got to take ownership of my relationships with others. Remember what what Paul said. He said, "You, you need to be at peace with everyone. So let's just think for a moment about that. And let me, let's just think very concretely about certain relationships in our lives because particularly around Christmas season and some important relationships can be our family relationships. You'll spend more time usually with your family this time of year than perhaps other years. For some of us, this is the only time perhaps you see certain family members so what, is it, what does it look like for you to work toward this in your family? Because let's, let's be honest with us, with ourselves, right? For some of us, our families, there, there's some relationships in our families that do look like this. So if that's the case, what, what does it look like for you to work towards peace? In other families and situations, it's not that there's a lot of this, but there is the absence of this. So what does it look like for you to work towards peace? I was talking with a couple of friends this week about this, and one of the things we noted was if we're going to work towards peace in our relationships, particularly in family relationships, one of the things we have to do is just pay attention to unhealthy patterns. And so as our conversation continued, we just, we just listed some unhealthy patterns that really get in the way of building peace and relationships, particularly family relationships. And let me just, let me just briefly just list a couple of these. And just, just be attuned to things you may see in yourself or in your family. So here's some unhealthy types of interaction. One is just avoiding people rather than, than talking to them about whatever we need to talk to them about. Something happens and we just start avoiding one another. And when we do that, another thing we often do is, right, we talk around people. We complain about this person or we complain about this family member, but we don't address those particular issues with them. Another thing we can do is we just kind of, we just stuff it all in, right? And things we need to work through or conversations we need to have or there, there's been some hurt or disagreement. We need to talk about it, but we just stuff it. And then a lot of times that what that means is At some point, we just blow up. And some of you, you would say, "That's my family, right? We just blow up a lot." Maybe some of you kids, when you think about where you want peace, you just say, "I wish there was less blowing up. I wish there was less yelling in my family." Another thing we can do is we can, we can always see the other person as the problem, right? They're always the problem. My parents are always the problem. My kids are always the problem. My boss is always a problem. The teachers are all... You know, we do that. Without ever asking, you know, am I contributing to this? And how am I contributing to this? I think another thing we do sometimes in families is we just settle for a false peace, right? If we can just pretend like this doesn't exist, that's good enough. But we, we never even think through how we might actually work towards this. One other thing that we talked about in, in, in my conversation earlier this week was another really unhealthy pattern in families is sarcasm. For some of our families, maybe this is true for you, this is kind of the standard way we operate, the standard way we interact. And we think, ah, oh, we're just joking around, we're just having a good time, but over time, sarcasm can be deadly in relationships. Sarcasm can be crushing in relationships, right? Oh, Einstein, I see you finally got around to finishing your homework, right? When comments like that are common in our homes and our households and our families and our relationships, over time, they're so destructive. And they become one way some of us try to simply avoid talking about things we really need to talk about. And hear me clearly, sarcasm is not a spiritual gift, right? So here, you know, I just listed some of the things we were talking about and just in terms of unhealthy relationships. And and if you see any of those, first of all, if you see them in your family, you see them in yourself, I think part of what I want you to just think about right now is, okay, I need to take ownership of this. I need to think through how I could engage my kids differently. Is there a different way to have those hard conversations with my parents? How do I deal with these awkward situations in extended family? How am I going to deal with Christmas? You know, how, do, how can I, in this situation, work really towards the kind of peace that Jesus came to establish? It's, if I'm a follower of Christ, to be an agent of that peace, a representative of that peace. Now, once again, remember what Paul says. He says, I want you to work at this, but it's as far as it depends on you, and sometimes the truth is we work at it and things don't necessarily change. I know that personally. Rose and I know this personally. Over the last year, in each side of our extended family, we've had to deal with some very painful hurt and estrangement and conflict in relationships. In one situation, it even reached a point where attorneys were involved, and I, th- I never thought I'd be a part of something like that. And, and these are situations we, we don't know how they're going to turn out. And in the midst of it, we're, we're just trying to take steps where we're saying, okay, as, as much as it depends on us, how do, we, how do we seek to do this? So my question for you is, What does that look like for you? So once again, I'm just going to give you a little time and just to think, there's there's one more question right on the page to think about. And once again, you you can write something, draw something, but so where can you practice this kind of peace? What's a relationship right now where you can engage it with a desire to pursue healthy peace? And maybe that means I need to think differently about certain behaviors that I tend to do in re-interacting with other people. So I'm just going to give you a moment just to think about that and to respond. Where can you practice Shalom. So, Father, this morning we've talked about Jesus coming as the Prince of Peace, not simply, simply someone who, who, who removes conflict, but who brings restoration. And that's your vision for our life, but our vision isn't simply for us to experience it. It's for us to be involved in it. So, Father, help us to be challenged by that truth, particularly when we think about relationships and families. And for some of us, that's... That's the point where we feel this tension. Father, right now, some of us are struggling to get along with our parents. Others are struggling to get along with our kids. Some of our situations, we've individually or as families gotten stuck in some unhealthy ways of interacting. Father, help us to see that in light of the Christmas message, we don't have to stay stuck. That Jesus comes to be at work in our lives so that we can truly be empowered by your grace to be agents of this new kind of peace. So, Father, even as we sing this final song, maybe some of us just need to acknowledge areas where you need to be at work in our lives empowering us to do things differently, engaging family differently, perhaps even engaging conversations differently this Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen.